When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, just go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us about your uh, dog life journey. Okay, so um, I grew up with Rhodesian Ridgebacks um, from the early 70s. Um, and um, then I had a brief period for about 15, 16 years with no dogs. Um, and then about 16 years ago, well, it would have been about 17 years ago now, I started on the path of looking for a suitable bauble. Well, it was quite daunting. More importantly, um, the... The bauble breed as such is filled with a lot of mythology mm-hmm. and and um, heavy marketing propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to shift through that. So, for example, 15 years ago, to say that the bauble is a guardian dog and will protect you and everything, in the working people, um, testing dogs or having proven dogs was the given thing to do, right, if you're going to put out a statement. In the bauble world, it was frowned upon, like you couldn't question people's marketing, right? You weren't allowed to question it. Um, and they would automatically assume you were some sort of thug or some sort of hooligan. Um, and that became the status quo. So it meant a lot of breeders um, got away with false marketing and, and the small, very, very small percentage of people tended to um, be cast aside mm-hmm. and, and, you know, labelled as, as being not desirable for owning this breed. Well, I believe that there was, particularly in, the, in, the, in, in Europe and the United Kingdom, Western Europe and the United Kingdom, there was a very elitist mentality. And they put up the price of the dogs to tremendous amounts of money in those days, uh, which was pretty much unaffordable for the average working dog person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they made the dog like most dogs are. Um, dogs in general become a cultural identity for, um, for people. And, and a social status and the social status that the marketing propaganda had done particularly western europe was that this breed was a very middle-class consumer commodity um and therefore they priced it accordingly that's not really what the the boar people that wasn't the way they looked at it correct 
Absolutely, absolutely. So these dogs normally would have been given for free or traded with other farmers and other local people in the townships and uh, that sort of um, thing would go on. Um, and there was hunters and, and people like that who generally needed good, healthy, sound dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dogs w- were dogs. I mean, you know, in most societies across the world, um, you know, dogs have always been just something that is for the benefit of humankind, right? Mm-hmm. And I think probably in the in the in the early nineteenth century, in the uh, uh, late eighteenth century, I think, you know, the dogs were very much a fancy breed, fancy for the very elite in societies, particularly in the Victorian eras. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had dogs that would reflect their status to their owners. Mm-hmm. Um, the bottle was a working dog, and, and, and like the German Shepherd or the Presser Canario, um, you know, it's always been a working dog, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier as well, the Pit Bull Terrier, always been a working man's dogs. Mm-hmm. And so the price has to be reasonably reflective if a dog's a working tool, as well as a companion. Mm-hmm. And if it's priced like a Fabergé egg, then it becomes more an ornament that you look at as right. opposed to something that you're going to work, right? Right, absolutely. Right, you spend all that money. The last thing you want is for that dog to fall apart because it looks beautiful by the by the log fire. Right. You know, it's, it's picture beautiful, but for the average working person, I mean, remember in the, in the old days, I mean, the bull mastiff and all most of the mastiff breeds were designed for a purpose in mind. And it's a, it's a, it's a very much a sift in society. It's the sift of society's attitudes towards working dogs. Um, but particularly in the last 20 years, I mean, the demise of most bull breeds has been pretty rapid. Yes. So I think the, the bauble certainly was a dog that had a place for the farmer and this is going back in the 1930s, 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. And the 50s and 60s and up to the 70s, perhaps, starting to wane a little bit. Um, and that's when the bauble really was a, a really good dog. But the word bauble comes from the farmer, which meant an Afrikaner, a boar, mm-hmm. trekker, um, would have dogs. And so any dogs that he owned would be considered or bull, or the, particularly the big dogs would be called the farmer's bulls or farmer's bull. Um, and that's where it got its name. Consider joining our Patreon community to access exclusive content, early releases, and personalized experiences. Subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews, appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us. And of course, the the name got exaggerated, right? Mm -hmm. So the dogs became monstrously large and dysplastic and everything else with that. I've heard that uh, um, the modern version is definitely uh, prone to hip dysplasia. They're terribly unhealthy. They have a huge reproduction issues. They can't uh, breed uh, properly, mm-hmm. naturally. So where 
natural reproduction is no longer the status quo for a breed, any species, it should, under normal circumstances, become become redundant. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it's not really about the breed of dog or anything else. It's about commerce and economy. And so it's dictated, like, you know, this is what the market wants and this is what we will produce. Mm-hmm. But is it is it the real bauble? Right. Um, I mean, there was, the real bauble was a dog called the Frontier Dog. Mm-hmm. Which had much longer legs. It had thinner bone, longer muzzle. Mm-hmm. and a much healthier uh, viable breed right. and then as soon as it became a breed standard then there was a internal fight to see who would have the biggest dogs the most impressive dogs and of course like we all know these things become exaggerated over time to, to like where the pendulum shifts tremendously to the other side. I think it was probably like the food we taste in our childhood. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with Rhodesian Ridgebacks all my life. And, you know, in the 1970s, the dog, Rhodesian Ridgebacks were pretty pretty large dogs. I mean, they could grow up to about 50, 55 kilos. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were quite big and uh, impressive dogs. And of course, that breed started to get thinner and smaller and smaller. Um, and of course, no one needed big Rhodesian Ridgebacks anymore. Mm-hmm. So I suppose a bauble, when I looked at baubles uh, many years ago, they impressed me because they looked like a Ridgeback. Mm-hmm. They have the same sort of... Um, affection and um, tactile um, communication between families. Um, So I think it must be a South African thing, like the old South African hunting stock dogs, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because they pretty much belong to the same tree. Mm -hmm. They just branched out in different directions. But I've been over a few times, and and it's nice to have a in-depth knowledge of the country's history, and particularly its people. Because usually, rather than reading what breed enthusiasts write, if you read about the history and culture of a country, and and the the people who were behind a breed of dog, you'll pretty much understand how and what the real history of the breed is. But if you read what a breed enthusiast writes, well, I mean, you're reading nothing but historic romantic rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is complete nonsense. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Mythology, huh? It's absolute mythology. Yeah. Right, because I mean, fundamentally, what we wanted was good working dogs mm-hmm. um, and good family dogs. Right, that's all we needed. And like, you know, it wasn't something that I'm going to invest a huge amount of money for me for. Like, it's just a dog. Right. Like, I, I I love my dogs, right? But like, they're not the most important facet of my life. Right. So, like. All work tools, you know, they're they're pretty much, you know, 
Um, yeah. Do you enjoy listening to audio podcasts like I do? Consider joining the Bulldog Social Club Spotify membership. For a limited time, it's only $1.99. Get early releases and personalised experiences. Subscribing not only supports Sean from the Bulldog Social Club, but also connects you with a community of like-minded enthusiasts. Whether you enjoy Sean's interviews, appreciate creative processes, or desire exclusive perks, your subscription plays a crucial role. Click the link, subscribe, and be a part of this journey with us. ...to work like me, mm -hmm. and you, and everyone else. Like, no one gets a free meal. Right. Well, I went over to South Africa. I went to see, I think it was about 47 breeders in total. That was back in 2006, wow. uh, slash seven. And at that time, it, I was just at the height of bubble mania. Mm -hmm. Um... And I went to tremendous expense to import a female bauble off from South Africa. Uh, she was a kennel dog. Um, lovely, great family dog, but just had no steel, no metal. Not a very uh, defensive streak. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you need a little bit of defensive streak if you want a good guardian protector. It's got to be a little bit of defence drive there, right? A little bit of nerve. Yeah. I mean, not a lot, but just enough. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so that was that was it. And so I brought her over and I bred two litters from her. Um, then I kept one puppy from her, uh, which then I competed in IPO, ZWP. Uh, ZTP. Uh, she'd done the Press Canario breed test, and so she was the first female in the world to be titled in the Press Canario breed test, wow. the ZW3, where she got the one and two, the first female bauble in the world to get IPO titles. Um, and the first to get uh, the British Institute of Professional Trainers Security uh, certificates as well. Wow, what did uh, what did the uh, the 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 old school Borbal people think of you then? Well, no one really cared, right? Like I was doing it for myself, right? Because it's my passion, uh -huh. and it. You see, if you have to spend three years dedicated to day in day out training your dog, sacrificing your time and everything else. It's a huge expense. Right. And no bottle breeder in their minds would want to go to the expense of doing that if they know they can sell dogs all day long without having to do anything. Mm -hmm. So it became the status quo. And if you look at the German Shepherd world, well, they know in that highly competitive world they've got, if they don't keep on top and tight their dogs, then they don't get buyers. Right. The KNPV guys, mm -hmm. like, they won't sell puppies if they don't have working title dogs. So, you know, it was a guy in the United States, Brandon Wilson, um, who was the first man in the world to, to have titled a bauble in IPO, the 
American Working Dog 3, which is the All Shutland, um, FH1 and 2, which is the advanced tracking. Um, and he had the most, uh, probably the most highest title bauble in the world to date. And he was, he's based in Kentucky. Um, and of course, uh, he was hoping for great things, but unfortunately, you know, the bauble community had sort of turned its back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really look upon the bauble as a working dog. I mean, there's a small pocket of people across the world doing it, mm-hmm. but the numbers are so insignificantly small, it's hardly a dent in the whole population. It doesn't even cause a ripple. Right. Then, of course, you're onto another platform of problems where you will have a group of people who all might work bubbles and have the same mindset. But, of course, egos get in the way of that, and therefore they're not able to form some sort of solidarity in order to move forward and, and, and to come up with uh, an international breeding program. So it becomes very much a, a, a hobby for any individual to pursue. Mm-hmm. But is there still farmers out there with the the rustic version? No, 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 no. no there isn't. There was one or two um, who probably in the, maybe even just a few years back. Um, there's a guy called James Brennan who kept to his old very. Um, strict standard of pack keeping. There was Klaus van Weveren who died years ago, but I was recently there in two, uh, 11 years after my first visit, which was, so I was in there in 2018, and it is nearly all the breeders have disappeared mm-hmm. from the board. Well, of course, there's no money in it now, you see. Right. There's, the market is dying for the breed. Uh, there's no direction. There's too much internal fighting. It's not an FCI recognized breed. So it's no more different to a band dog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the biggest problem they had. And because there were so many different breed registries, well, everyone's fighting for a spot. But no one's got real legitimacy. It's almost like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the breeders that gave up, they'd fallen out with each other and, and, and things like that. And so nearly all of them. And of course, there's no money in it. So they all went breeding English Bulldogs, Schnauzers, uh, all sorts of breeds, but mm-hmm. not the bauble. And with the particular political climate, uh, it, uh, it seems like it may be even a, a worst case scenario for the bauble. Well, that's quite interesting. And I totally agree with you. I think it will be. And, and you got to remember, I mean, what many people don't tell you on the internet and what the history doesn't tell you is that the breed only became not famous but infamous mm-hmm. in the in the 1980s during the apartheid regime. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll never mention this, right? Right. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't carry any favour. But, like, you know, it was only within the Boar and the Africana community, it was considered the racist watchdog. Mm-hmm. And that's where it got its infamous um, status. 
mistakes from. I mean, this is something that people... But it was the fact, and of course, this was all false propaganda. I mean, the Afrikaners were, were marketing the dog within their own communities as the racist watchdog. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how it became across the prisons, across the United States, yet the Western Europe. Everyone knew in, in the prison system the next best dog was the bauble. Mm-hmm. And, and, but of course, none of it was proven. I mean, when these dogs went to the United States, you had all-time breeders who imported these dogs in by the tens, multiples of fives and tens. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of these dogs, I mean, these are all very highly intelligent and academic working dogmen in America, right. right? They were like old pit bull men, old American bulldog men, old racing greyhound men. And so, like, you can't bluff these guys. They know their stuff. Right. So when you had Afrikaners in there with their arrogant attitudes sending over piles of dogs that were dysplastic, couldn't run, couldn't stand the heat, uh, just in general really unfit and bad examples of any dog per se, let alone the breed. Like, you know, it made these guys question it. Mm-hmm. And those who did buy the breed... Like, they'll never admit it. They'll never say to you, the breed is not good. But what they'll do is, because they've invested so much money, they have to perpetuate the myths. Right. I'll give you an analogy here. You know, I could put a real diamond, I could put a real Zorowski crystal in front of each other. Mm-hmm. And if the Zorowski crystal's bigger, people go for the Zorowski crystal. Okay, it's just mm-hmm. a piece of glass. Mm-hmm. Right. But Zorowski's made, made a fortune from selling piece of glass. Mm-hmm. It's not even fantastically cut glass. But I put a small quarter carat flawless diamond there, mm-hmm. you know, and most people overlook it. If I put a three carat diamond there and a, and a quarter carat diamond, most people go for the three carat diamond. They're not looking for the color, clarity, or consistency, or the cut, no. you know, because they just don't know. Right. Like, you know, it's, 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 this is the problem in the bull breed world, despite whatever bull breed, press canario world, the American bulldog world, they're all blighted by the same ignorance and, 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 and lack of education. Mm-hmm. You know, which is that everyone's big and, and imposing and everything else, but it's not enough. No. I mean, it's not, you know, look, there's perfection or what we hope to get as much as we can in, in terms of perfection. And what is just average, and if everyone wants just average, which tends to be the status quo, then that's what happens. There's a market for, for average, right? But what the, what the breed should reflect is the price of them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, if I could buy a Dutch Herder or a German Shepherd for five or six hundred pounds in British money, maybe nine hundred dollars, uh, uh, seven hundred dollars, then and I can get a dog that's like three, four generations working title, pedigreed, health test, and everything else. And then I'm, I'm paying $2,500 for a bauble. I mean, you can't compete, right? Like, I'd mm-hmm. rather have the German Shepherd over the bauble. Mm-hmm. I mean, the looks are great, right? But what good is the looks if I'm going for a five, ten mile hike right. in the hills and then the dog can't keep up with me? Right. No. Or it only lasts six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Look, the, the, that's a simple case of economics and business, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if someone can't make 
profits on breeding dogs, yeah. then don't breed them. Right. Like, get a job, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's right. like very simple. Like, you know, the world doesn't need dog breeders. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I just... uh, you know, what What it needs is a handful of people to do it, not everyone. And look, I look in the barber world, someone pays £2,000 for a female. They say, I've spent all this money, there's a lot of money to make. If we get a litter or two litters a year, we can make a lot of money and I can retire and we can retire. I've seen people sell their homes, take their children out really good schools, move in the middle of nowhere in, in, in some land and, 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 and then start breeding dogs only to realise two, three years later, everything falls down around them, right? Right. Um, you know, it's a false economy. I mean, look, breeders could. I mean, you take four females, you can breed them. That's four litters a year if you're if you if you play your cards right and you're savvy, and you know you do your marketing correctly. You you're going to make the money, but if you have to pay for C-sections, artificial inseminations, health costs because the dogs are ill or something like that, and you've got to keep them alive in order to have those puppies, then of course it's 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 going to um, hurt your pocket but then if that's something you have to do you'd have to question why would you want to breed those types of dogs in the first place yeah absolutely. like i have no problems mm -hmm. with people making huge amounts of profit mm -hmm. but what i do want if you're going to give me a product i want value for money on that product right. like if i'm buying a ferrari i know why i'm paying the price right right you know uh you know most are like this is what people don't understand like people think that louis vuitton is just you're paying for a, for a name you're not paying for a name right. you know you're, you're paying for a certain quality of stitching a certain quality of material a certain detail which you don't get on the average and, and the problem with the dog breeding industry is it's not regulated mm -hmm. right and the standards are very, very low. Mm -hmm. People, it's the consumer. Like you as a consumer, you've got a demand from breed. Don't let them be arrogant. Right. Like don't let them dictate to you why they might consider giving you a dog. Like there's loads of dogs out there. Like who the hell are you? Right. Right. Like you prove to me that I should come to you. And like my standards are high. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't keep up with the game, you have no place breeding dogs. Yeah, especially dogs that uh, you try to pass off as working dogs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I, 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 when I wrote my contracts, when I, I, and I only had two litters in what in fifteen years, and like I only will breed for myself. I recently imported a female over, and she's only to breed one litter out of. That's all. Mm -hmm. Just so I can have a puppy, because it's a whelping process, and what I do in that whelping box for the first twelve weeks is the most critical on how that puppy's new neurological development mm -hmm. will start to map out. Like that's absolutely critical, right? There's so much time involved. Mm -hmm. Like no breed is going to do that for me. So if I want to do something, I've got to do it myself, right? Right, absolutely. Um, but you see, this is the thing. I mean, it's 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 horse of course. I mean, you know, if breeders can't do that, then then don't do it. As long as you, the consumer, are going to be there to, to have a cute little puppy, and 
and then of course it grows up to be a health issue, then that's your problem. Like you as a consumer should make demands and there should be more people to tell people. There should, like there, there are good bubble forums in America that tell people like do your research, mm -hmm. like don't take anything for granted, like make sure the person behind that internet screen really is. Right. like a legitimate person. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the world we live in, right? It's just everything's changed. It's the millennial generation, instant gratification, and, mm. you know, egos and demigods. Everyone's risen above, you know, right. everything else. We've all become demigods, right? So, yeah. But I think people should question, and I, I think there should be a regulate a very strict regulatory body. I think I was reading in the United States that they're putting in a petition to ban puppy mills mm -hmm. in the USA. And I think they're doing this thing of doing the suit in Europe. I mean, you know, the bauble breed is already banned in a few countries in Europe. That will start to roll out even more because of this huge amount of breeders and indiscriminate breeding. Mm -hmm. um, so... And is it the real bauble? Right. Is it the bauble that, you know, the history had told you about? Mm -hmm. Were these people telling the truth? Who wrote the history of the breed? Can you uh, talk about your journey about your book and, and how that came about? And... Yeah, absolutely. So... I spent many years doing research about 16, 17 years ago on the bauble breed and I'd gone up and down the whole of the United Kingdom um, and, you know, I sort of got a very bad reputation because I said, listen, if you want to sell me a puppy, I want to test the male, I want to test the female to see if they've got protective instinct. And of course, I was considered to be a hooligan, a thug and everything else. And, of course, that threw me across many different tangents, which then I ended up traveling most of the Western Europe. Um, and of course, um, I was talking to a lot of the, the founding fathers of the breed who were still alive then, 15, 16 years ago. So they were telling me about the breed rhetoric and everything over the phone. Well, of course, it's, so I kept all the notes and photos and articles and everything over the many years. And I was making notes and everything. And then in 2006, seven, I, I went to see one of the founding fathers who created the breed, uh, Lucas van der Merve. And um, I spent a week with him. And of course, uh, the truth comes out after like a few days. And suddenly when they realize that you have half a knowledge, you know, they suddenly realize that, you know, uh, they can really open up and tell you the truth from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I gathered all my research and, of course, testing dogs, working dogs across many countries across the world, Russia, South Africa, uh, most of Western Europe, United States as well. Um, I just gathered all my information and um, I studied the history of South Africa there history of the Africana and um, compiled all my works together and of course it's about the working bauble mm -hmm. um, myth, uh, fact or fiction um, and it breaks down the facts, the fiction and it gives examples of where the breed's going to be in the future, where it's heading, how it can be salvaged and it 
breaks down all the myths of the marketing propaganda and it talks about the things that were controversial for the breed like the black bauble which was one of the biggest biggest upsets in the breed mm -hmm. but it states quite specifically like i went straight to the source the person who who had the black bobbles mm -hmm. there initially um to find out exactly where the breed came from with the black bauble and and i found that out and that's in the book and there are examples of baubles running away from protection. Uh, big, huge dogs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this book is for the consumer. Mm -hmm. It is not for breeders, for the breed. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't designed for breeders. It was work for working dog purists, for for bull breed purists and pugilists. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was aimed for. And, um, yeah, that's... And it was... So all the brick walls I was hitting and all the blatant lies and dishonesty uh, that I had to come across, I thought, put it all in a book mm -hmm. and let the consumer read the book and then they are armed with facts. Right. <clears throat> as opposed, and all the facts in the book are cited, like there's, there's citations for the facts, so we, we have the, the source of those facts, right, which mm -hmm. is... You know, um, it isn't just based on my opinions, right? <laughs> because, I mean, although I might have, we've all got opinions, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're right. right. <clears throat> so, but it's the largest, it's the longest history ever written on the breed. Um, and there's over 204 illustrations in there. Oh. Um, so it's... Uh, and it talks a lot about the Presser Canario as well and the difference between the Presser Canario community, the identity of, and, and cultural identity of the Presser Canario communities, mm -hmm. um, and the difference of the Bobble community. And it asks why the Presser Canarios developed and progressed so far in terms of its working stature, yet the Bobble still is hitting the plight of the English Mastiff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's heading that way, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite daunting, and, and this is why, you know, the book is... And it it's mainly the accounts of the old bobble men, and even then I have to break their theories and their stories down, right? Because a lot of them have, uh, had told me things that were frankly dishonest and not true. Mm -hmm. So you've got a you've got a very much fact find if they say something like you just don't take it right. Like the, you've got to research that, then, and then you'll say, well, you told me this, but there's credible evidence that this is completely untrue. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I, I, I wasn't quite sure. Then if you weren't quite sure, why did you tell me? Like, if you've told already 100 consumers out there the same thing, that means 100 consumers have been duped. Mm -hmm. Like, it's blatant dishonesty, right? And this is because there's no regulation. There's no regulatory authority. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, 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 the dog world in general is very amateur and very unprofessional in general, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's like the elite of shoring dogs where there's huge amounts of stake on, say, the Bundesliga in the German Shepherd world where, you know, dogs can go up to $40,000. Mm -hmm. Like, you're talking money then, right? And that's where you get the more Premier League of professionals. But certainly in the 
90% of any industry, I mean, particularly the dog industry, is, is, it's very amateur. But, you know, I mean, look, it, it, the bubble does have a future. It has a future as long as the vision of those in the masses um, dictates what it is they want. So it's like everything becomes fashion. And I, I think in America, you had a huge thing. You've got a very liberal left wing now. You, you know, it was once a very conservative country many uh, years ago, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now you have some, you know. I mean, you know the word decadence. Yeah, it's all decadence, an indulgence of decadence, a bit like the Roman and the Greek empires before they, you know, mysteriously hit. Uh, well, not so mysteriously, but you know, before they toppled and fell. Um, so. You know, it's, uh, I think the dog world is pretty much like that. The, bo- uh, the bull breed world, anyway, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Colonel David Hancock um, wrote a great book. I, I think many of you will probably, you'll probably know that book mm-hmm. anyway, don't you? The, uh, the Big Game Hunters, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and his book as well said the same thing. I mean, most pugilists in the bull breed world talk about this. They talk about the, the, the exaggeration of the breeds mm-hmm. where they become unhealthy. I mean, American, I mean, the British Bulldog can't even breathe no more. I will always have a bull breed of some sort, but I, even if that means I have to buy two good dogs to make an excellent dog, you know, I'm going, mm. I'm going to do it. And it won't be for profit or anything. It will be for my personal, my personal journey. So... Well, absolutely, and you know what? What price you put on a good dog? Mm-hmm. It's priceless, right? Yeah. And like, you know, we we don't care what we like. We most of us like, you know. I think, you know, as you grow older, it, it, you realize that the important things in life are the things that give you a sense of self satisfaction. You're not you're not living for other people's expectations anymore. Mm-hmm. Like those times have gone. So, like, what is good for you might not be good for someone else. But if you're doing it with 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 your heart and with sincerity, mm-hmm. then pretty much. And and the thing is, when we when we do something in life, like you know, if there's honesty and transparency, like this is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. For me, in my world, anyway, like, you know, there should be no reason for people to lie. And, you know, I think, you know, there's a word called integrity, mm-hmm. which seems to be out of fashion nowadays. And, you know, you have integrity, then you never need to worry about something. Like, you might not make any friends <laughs> mm-hmm. because you don't fit into that, that status quo, that certain camp. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. Right, because those are obviously not the people. You know, we surround ourselves with like-minded people, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, look, I have baubles. I don't have any bauble friends. Right, right. On my on my Facebook, I don't have any bauble friends. I continue with the breed. Um, I wrote a book on them. I've um, you know, but I don't have bauble friends. I have no Facebook bauble friends because I had nothing in common with these people. I, I work dogs, I train dogs, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people, the clients whose baubles 
come to me for, for like residential training. Like, you know, a lot of them are really lovely people who just wanted a good family dog, right? They become my friends because they're not breed enthusiasts or, or breeders per se, who mm. tend to be very um, competitive and, you know, um, that sort of um, agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have time for it, you know. We, we're all about enhancing our own lives and the, and, the, and the relationship between us and our dogs, which is all that matters. Absolutely. Could you tell me um, uh, what you look for in a, in a puppy to, to you know, compete in, 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 in protection sports and to be a good family guardian? What are the characteristics? Absolutely. So the things I look for is a good movement mm-hmm. in the puppy. Mm-hmm. Really good fluid movement, a very bouncy puppy. I look for a very inquisitive puppy. I look for a puppy that's that likes to explore, super confident and super friendly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I look for a puppy that's very dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is only my personal choice, is I look for something that gives me a bit of resistance. Mm-hmm. A puppy that, you know, won't let me, will, you know, has strong food aggression. That's number one for me. Mm-hmm. I like my puppies to have very strong food aggression mm-hmm. and just a very strong attitude. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I, I don't like biddable puppies, mm-hmm. I like them to be non-compliant. Mm. When I have that and the movement is good and everything else, but in general for a good family dog, you should just look for something that's super confident, very outgoing, good movement, and that's all you need. The rest will be training. Right. And what does that training, training look like from, from puppy stage to adolescence to adulthood for, for you? Huge amount of what we call um, controlled mm-hmm. uh, environmental exposure. Mm-hmm. And when I say controlled environmental exposure, like puppies, people tend to think that puppies need to be... Um, exposed to a lot of a lot of things outside Mm -hmm. and as much as that's correct they can also be exposed to the wrong sort of things which can then particularly with bull breeds they're quite sensitive dogs Mm -hmm. and they because they don't have the prey drive they don't have something that can go through that Mm -hmm. barrier so they they can they can get caught up in, in, in pictures. And so if they've had bad experiences, puppies, particularly with lots of people thinking, what a cute puppy, and they go straight over them and, and everything is, makes a puppies very apprehensive and they could, you know, multitude of different things can happen. So like when I introduce puppies to, to new dogs, they're always very neutral, stable dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't just let them in puppy class. I'm, I'm completely against puppy classes, and I'm completely against dog parks. I think they're the biggest places where dogs learn, like, you know, the biggest problems. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, so, what kind of problems? Well, I mean, if, if you have, for example, like little dogs, mm-hmm. a prime example, right? Like, uh, they're... Um, they're, for example, they're mollycoddled, 
and then they're um, um, they're mollycoddled and then they're held and of course big dogs run up to them they get frightened the owners pick them up they start getting aggressive because they found new confidence and of course there you go every little dog in a park becomes aggressive right but it's okay because it's little right yes. and then you get young puppies who are super confident um and then you get a big dog and the, it gets bullied and everything else knocks its confidence right then they start becoming submissive like you know for for one year i don't keep i don't really mix my dog with other dogs for one for the first one year okay. and maybe 10 minutes maximum a day that's oh. all they need yeah. after a year old like after, like 12 40 months old like they won't even bother with other dogs mm -hmm. like they'll go and say hello and, and they'll be friendly and then they'll say okay great all right so it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because more, the biggest problems I have is pet dogs. Yeah. Like, I get a lot of models come to me who are pet dogs. They're loved by their owners, but they've got the shittiest behaviours, right? And you wonder why. Yeah. Because I bring a female over from South Africa who's been a kennel dog all her life. Like, she's walking in London Underground with me. She's walking off lease in, 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 in busy streets in London. Uh -huh. She's like, with kids she's never seen any of this before in her life right. and i'm not saying genetically she's got amazing nerves what i'm saying is like that maybe partly due to it but the fact of the matter is because she's not been exposed to negative things like it's just of no consequence to her mm -hmm. right. like there's no bad memories there right and this tends to happen a lot in socialization. But I mean, for me, I, I, I socialize with children in nurseries, the puppies. Mm -hmm. um, I socialize them with adult dogs and, um, and lots of people around and everything. But I don't let people make a pass with the dogs. Like pe the dogs know there's lots of people around. They don't need to touch or hold or cuddle the puppy. Mm. They can just be neutral to the puppy. Like the puppy says, okay, there's lots of people there. They're cool. Um, and, you know, I don't have a problem with them. So in three years' time, the dogs are not going to have a problem then, right? Like mm. It shouldn't have a problem. Like it's been around people and other dogs and everything all its life. And it's always had good, uh, positive um, exposure mm -hmm. and um, experience. So there's no reason why it would get shitty in its... But the majority of dogs I get have got really, really shitty behaviours. And it's not genetical. Like, it's learned behaviour. Right. Hmm. You know? So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just, I suppose, in a way, I mean... You know, it's just the way that we, a lot of people, they want, like you said, they want these beautiful, gorgeous dogs. They love the way they look. But if you get a big bull breed that's got a highly defensive uh, attitude uh, and nerve, like, you've got a walking time bomb there, right? Like, if you're, like, not aware. Mm -hmm. Like you can be an experienced handler as well, right? But you're never going to want to let that dog off the leash. Right. And then you're going to avoid people. And then when you avoid people, like it becomes even more or less socialized. Mm 
which then heightens its curiosity. And so it becomes a full circle. Right. <laughs> well, um, just before I go, but um, I thought while I'm on here, I would plug my book anyway to you. Yeah. It's The Working Bauble Fact or Fiction. Yeah. Uh, it's available on Amazon.co.uk. Uh, but read it, it's an interesting part, and it not only gives you a reflection of the bauble, but it also talks, it's also a reflection of many of the bull breeds in today's world and the modern society and where they came from and all the different agendas of marketing and everything else. So there's a lot of chapters, you know, in there, the importance of the female, the world according to Adam, you know, the final myth, the final curtain call. So there's different, like, it, you won't think you're reading a dog book, but it actually sincerely is. Saying how good the book was. Well, thank you very much, yeah. and and I look forward to uh, sharing whatever I can uh, for you and your audience. And and um, it was really nice speaking to you, Saunders. Nice speaking to you, and, and uh, I will uh, I will talk to you in a month or so. Thank you for your time. All right, no problem. All right. You're most